Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons podcast. In this episode, Adam, Carmen, and Jeff talk about the transitions they've experienced during the past year. Along the way, we discuss Adam's new tractor, Carmen's new oscilloscope, and Jeff's new schedule. The Engineering Commons explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of field or industry. Join Adam, Brian, Carmen, and Jeff as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 123, Transitions 2016, January 9th, 2017. So Adam, was 2016 a good year for you? Well, I'd say 2016 at at very least was more memorable than many, but I'd say probably a pretty good year. Okay. And what has made it a more memorable year for you? Well, I once again bought a house after uh, leaving college. Right. You know, so that's a, that's a pretty big uh, transition in a, right in a year. Right. I know you had looked for a, uh, a while. Yeah. The, the real estate market was just really tough. And I had, um, and I've kind of alluded to it on the podcast before, I think we talked about, uh, uh, tools. I needed a shop that was a requirement. And I wanted a little bit of land, and there just wasn't much available in my area that met those requirements. Well, and you're also you're looking a little bit more rural than probably a lot of people would, correct? Um, well, generally, but I also had a pretty big search radius. Um, thirty minute drive at seventy miles an hour, or I mean, um, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, thirty minute drive at seventy miles an hour, so it's a pretty good sized circle. Right. Well, we've had. Uh several transitions in, in 2016. I know, Adam, as you've mentioned, you uh, moved to a new house and uh, I changed jobs mid-year and uh, Carmen also changed jobs mid-year. Yeah, right at the same time. So uh, we, th- we thought we'd talk about, uh, we, we typically do a, a review podcast or review episode where we look back over the past year. And we thought this year, instead of concentrating so much on the episodes that we'd put together, we might talk about some of these uh, transitions that we went through as, uh, uh, as part of our, uh, uh, I guess our career in, in terms of the job or, or just our lives and in, in terms of Adam's, uh, finding new residents. So that's what we'll talk about in this episode is the, the transitions we've made in 2016. So Adam, uh, maybe we'll, we'll pick up with your house, uh, continue on what, uh, you mentioned that you were looking for a shop and you were looking for some acreage. Yeah. So I ended up finding a, um, a little place with uh, four and a half acres. Um, five. Wow. That's, that's some land. <laughs> that's a lot. That's of not land. bad. That, I mean, it's a, it's a nice, good sized yard, I would say. Um, and, uh, five outbuildings, not including the house. And I guess I'm inc- excluding some sheds that, and I'm not exactly sure. I think there's two. But I haven't really um, paid that much attention to them at this point. Um, snow was heading on, heading in as I was closing and such, and so I was more focused on big buildings. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just weren't even counting the small buildings. <laughs> well, and one of them was kind of buried in the woods, and I found it after the leaves fell. <laughs> Next to the cemetery? There's no cemetery. They have to disclose that one. <laughs> <laughs> so you think. Although I do have some used tires for sale. If anybody's looking for tires, um, I got a big pile oh, of used that tires. That was very nice of them to lend you all those used tires. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it's pretty typical for for old farmstead. Um, house was built in 1900, so it's it's been been here for a while. Any buried diesel tanks? That's a, that's another. That's not all that uncommon. I uh, haven't. I'm not aware of any. Okay. Uh, and that's another one of those required disclosures. Um, but right now, now with four and a half acres, obviously there's some, I'm guessing there's some land, uh, to mow. Yes. Uh, and so, uh, do you have the, uh, the proper tools for doing this? Well, that's another one of those, uh, fancy purchases I made about that same time. I ended up buying myself a little tractor. Um, and so I can mow at about eight miles an hour. Um, which is, you know, plenty fast for a little mower. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Are you even cutting the grass at that speed? Or are you just kind of, you know... Brushing over it. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, it leaves a pretty decent cut at that speed. I mean, probably better to go a little slower, but... Um, is it is it riding, or is it kind of one of those stand-behind uh, guys? It's actually a small uh, tractor. It's a subcompact tractor. It's oh, okay. If it's a push-behind and you're going eight miles an hour, that's pretty good pace to keep <laughs> up for five acres. <laughs> Well, I was thinking of the kind, and I, I don't know what they're called, where you're standing, but you're riding on it. Oh, okay. I know. Yeah, what yeah, yeah. I've seen landscaping companies use them. And they they move really quick. But uh, so, Adam, does yours have a PTO? That's that's the engineering question. Uh, yes, PTO and three-point hitch on the back, so it um, plus a loader. Jeez. It's a, it's a little Kubota BX for anyone who wants to look it up. So not a real big tractor, but big enough yeah yeah it, it throws snow good it um i can run just about any implement i would need in my little my uh my space i've got out here and it is amazing how much how useful a loader is once you have one <laughs> to anyone who doesn't have a loader i really really recommend you get one so my third of an acre doesn't need a loader <laughs> <laughs> i have nowhere to keep it Especially everyone in an apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like moving refrigerators and, and appliances yes. and things in and out of buildings. And you know, and in, generally, they store in a closet well. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so we, we quickly went through the acronym PTO. Could you explain that, Adam? Yes. Uh, so that's, um, I believe, Power Takeoff. Mm-hmm. That sound right? Um, yep. And in agricultural areas, um, well, it's pretty well known, but it's a uh, a shaft that comes off of the back of a tractor to run other implements, whether it be a, um, a brush mower or a uh, tiller or, a, or an arm ripper offer. <laughs> well, that's the PTO in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, well, I guess I have a post hole digger. That's kind of an arm ripper offer. Um, but I mean, yeah, they're, they're, they're dangerous, but they're an opportunity to use that, that one engine you've spent money on to do other <laughs> work. Right. And, and are there typically a, a wide variety of tools you can bolt on to make use of this power takeoff? Tons of them. Um, okay. Just about any th- sort of outdoor power equipment you can think of probably has some way to attach it to one of these, to a tractor of some sort, probably a little bigger than what most people would be thinking of, but. (laughs) Okay. Well, and so at your, at your eight mile an hour pace, how long does it take you to mow your four and a half acres? Um, so the sections I mow, it's a little over an hour. Okay. Which is insane. Well, I mean, it's a big piece of property. Yeah, but there's a lot of people in town who push mow for an hour. Me, yeah, <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's usually my own fault. I let my grass get a little too high, so I have to bag it and then uh, stop, bag, clean the the you know where the blades are in the motor because it's all gunked up with grass. Continue. Mm-hmm. Swear next time I'll cut it before it gets that long, long, and forget. <laughs> yeah yeah uh, been there done that right now I'm, I'm guessing carmen that uh since you're in the carolinas that uh you have some definite growing seasons that that i'm guessing spring and fall the grass grows like crazy and and probably during the heat of the summer not so much uh it still grows at a pretty decent clip during the summer too <laughs> it doesn't doesn't slow too much but okay. yeah I have, I have a much longer cut lawn season than when i was growing up back in new york which is right. good and bad because, you know, the weather's nice. I can still go do things, but I hate cutting the lawn, man. Yeah. I'm just somewhat too cheap, and I I always wind up being outside for a while, so I I, I don't pay anybody to do it. But uh, once I knock off them student loans, man, who knows? I may never have to lift a finger again. <laughs> <laughs> good luck with that, right. Carmen. <laughs> hey, I'm going to be retiring by 35. So you know, when we celebrate our 800th episode of this podcast, I will, uh, I'll, I'll be retired, and then I can take over the editing from Jeff. Cool. Yeah. So it sounds like we have a topic for episode 800: Carmen's retirement. 
<laughs> Put it on the books. Brian moving into Kerman's basement. <laughs> ah, see? I'm um, in North Carolina. You don't have basements. The clay makes it no good. Uh, things I didn't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the fact that frost depth is, what, about three inches? I don't even know. Okay. It, it's deeper than that, but it's not like in the north. That's why we have basements in the northern part of the country. It's not just because uh, it's useful. It's because you have to get that low in order to get below the uh, frost line. Yeah. So you might as well just keep digging and make it a basement. Why, why do you need to get below the frost line? I'm learning things today. Um, if you're above the frost line, when the frost penetrates and comes out, the the soil will move differentially, and so your house will not stay level and crack. Ah. Um, there are types of construction that don't require that. Is the proper term uh, heaving? Um, frost heaving? I do not know if that would be the proper term in a structure. It would be the proper team term for like a roadway or, or pavement slab. Ah, uh, okay. So, um, but I think it probably is. Cool. I think it's the proper term if you partied too hard New Year's Eve as well. <laughs> Which none of us would do because we're all too responsible. <laughs> yeah. oh, I was super lame this year for New Year's Eve, and I don't even care. <laughs> I think I was awake at midnight. I was too, but I was sleeping by 1230. It was excellent. Yep. Oh, I, I was telling Carmen before we started that uh, – my wife and I were driving back from uh, a wedding that we were invited to out in the Philadelphia area. And uh, so we had a pretty healthy drive getting back to the Midwest. And, and uh, so we stopped at a Bob Evans somewhere in the middle of Ohio and uh, had dinner. And uh, we, we got home late in the evening and I was exhausted. So I was in bed by 10 o'clock or 1030. So <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't a very exciting New Year's Eve for me. Still, though, Bob Evans in middle America on New Year's Eve, I mean – as long as you had a slice of apple pie, I feel like that's pretty much America right there. How, how else are you going to celebrate New Year's Eve? <laughs> right. Well, no, there was no apple pie, but uh, quick meal and we were back on the road. So, Adam, any any other cool tools that you've got besides the uh, the new mower? Well, I feel like you mentioned you had got the house for the, the workshop, so you got to tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Um, That's really all these engineers care about, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah. I mean, sure, power tools and mowers and tractors, but workshop, man, workshop. Well, I mean, power tools and, and, and tractors, that lets me do some amateur civil engineering around here. You know, <laughs> all right, we'll call, and- up, we'll call up Grady and have him uh, come film you as you proceed <laughs> to run into your barn or something and knock it over. I, I've only hit the door once or hit anything once. Um, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, you're planning on building a dam or a retaining <laughs> pond? Uh, uh, not quite, but I do have some grading in in my future and uh, um, roadway reclaiming as well, um, as happens when you have gravel driveways out in the country. Uh, so exactly how do you reclaim a gravel driveway? With a flag. <laughs> uh, that's one way. <laughs> <laughs> It's actually surprisingly part of the process, but <laughs> helps uh, helps you line up a little better. Um, well, uh, I have a, a little blade that you put in the back of the of a tractor or something else, much like a, a road a road grader, mm-hmm. and uh, you can turn it over a little bit, which helped actually with a lot of it. And otherwise, um, hauling in new gravel and almost reconstructing it. So, but what but what's there to reconstruct? You 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 make it. You just scrape it level and then put down more gravel? Pretty much. Gravel roads are pretty simple. Okay. <laughs> it's gravel on top of dirt. <laughs> okay. Do you do anything at the edges to try to keep the gravel from uh, working its way into your lawn or just however it tends to migrate, it tends to migrate? Um, I'm sure that there's better ways than this, but I'm just, uh, at least at this point, going to work on uh, um, establishing a crown and grading it in. Uh, a couple of times a year to try to maintain that crown until everything packs and and uh, packs up nice and hard. And then hopefully it won't uh, need near as much maintenance. Well, now this is this is more complexity. How do you how are you going to crown this thing? I would think that your grader would uh, try to grade things in a straight line that is horizontal. How how do you create the crown? Well, all these uh, these fancy uh, blades. And this is very much the way a motor grader works, except they have hydraulics in her. Well, 
not that I don't have hydraulics, but they are much more um, actively controlled. But you can control mm-hmm. the the tip, the pitch, and the angle of the blade mm. to control how it moves material. Cool. And so you can tip one corner of the blade down, and you tip it back or tilt it back, so material will always roll to the back. Mm-hmm. Um, so your as you're driving down your road, your front, your right side is lower and farther forward than your left side of your blade, and it'll roll that material up into the center, just like a, a road grader will. Hmm. Okay. And then you do the exact opposite when you're trying to clear snow, because you want to move the snow off the driveway. Ooh, so... Okay, so that's a good question. Is So now when you have snow, then I'm guessing you have to pull the blade up so you're not scraping the snow and the gravel at the same time? Um, probably. I haven't been real good about that. Um, but once it gets uh, nice and cold, all the a little bit of water into the gravel, it mm-hmm. it's hard as concrete. Okay. It, it's, it's a really hard surface. Um, I wow. pull a little bit of rock, but not not a lot. Interesting. So anyways, workshop. Workshop. Yeah. <laughs> You're leaving us Carbon's all in suspense, a- man. Carbon's very anxious to hear about these tools. We, we got to build. Uh, well, reality is uh, I don't have very many tools for the workshop that are new. It's more of a I finally get to get my tools out of storage where they've been um, stored for the last four years or so. Um, since I, I left my last house in, in South Dakota. Um, is this going to be primarily a wood shop or a general purpose, you know, um, you know, wood, metal, just fix something kind of shop? Yes. And yes. <laughs> um, so right now, the way I've got it set up, I've got uh, a, a wood shop in one room. It's got two real rooms. And then I'm going to put the uh, metal shop, general purpose, um, I think someone I knew once put it as mad scientisting, uh, <laughs> shop in the other, uh, the other room of the shop, uh, mm-hmm. in heated, which is important in this part of the country. Um, so actually with today being a day off, which I guess won't make sense to people here in, uh, when this gets released, but, um, day after New Year's spent the whole day out in the shop and 40 degrees and working on trying to put things away so I can use it. Awesome. So, right. And, and the method of heating the shop, uh, electric, uh, garage heater. Okay. So I didn't know whether you were, you had propane or something nearby that no, no, definitely not the cheapest method of heating a shop, which is why it's 40 degrees. <laughs> right. <laughs> when it's negative a hundred out, that's still pretty warm. Uh, absolutely. It's, it's warm enough. You can take a jack, take your coat off and, um, not have to wear gloves and you can use your fingers, at least in my part of the country. Um, people get used to that, that cold. No, they don't. I'm in that part of the country and we never get used to it. Well, around here, people get, maybe not used to it, more tolerant yes. of. Okay. We're, we're hardy, but we're not necessarily happy. Yes. Yes. Well, here in a couple of months, 40 degrees is going to feel really nice. Yes. Shorts weather. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's like a full, what, 80 degree shift from our lows. Exactly. Now, so you're going to use the shop, and I guess it's, uh, if I understand what you had in mind, it's it's going to be some woodworking and some machine shop, metalworking uh, type stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were you were mentioning before we started uh, recording that uh, uh, you've been working on some wiring issues there in the shop. Well, yes, I, I discovered that whoever wired the shop decided that um, the outlets and everything else in the shop didn't need grounds, ground wires, hmm. and cut them off in such a way that the only way to uh, get ground wires, which I think is very important in a shop, is to rewire the whole shop. So that's my project for the winter. Um, which will naturally lead to six or seven other things like taking the, uh, uh, working the insulation and uh, upgrading the lighting and upgrading all the circuits and 
um, all all of that, and just it's one of those projects. It's at the point you just rip it all out and start again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, are you going to have to run temporary power out there while you're upgrading the uh, the wiring? Um, extension cords. That's what I'm wondering. It's only like thirty feet from the from uh, the nearest other outlet, so I don't know. Hmm, that's a good point. I didn't got I didn't gotten that far yet. So is is the entire shop on on one circuit? Uh, it's got actually two sub panels, which is a problem, but uh, which will need to be rectified. Um, okay. <laughs> but no, it, it's um, you know pretty typical of an old farm. There's power everywhere and sub panels everywhere. And um, so there's lots of different places to pull power from and lots of ways to add circuits to things. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is great for someone with lots of power hungry tools and who doesn't like to be using a drill and a light and a vacuum all at the same time and have a breaker pop. Right. Um, Which has happened many times, Um, especially if it's dark out. Okay. <laughs> and you're, um, have an obstacle course to get through to get back to the uh, breaker box. Um, right. So lots of power available, just some of it not as uh, well done as it could have been. So, okay. Yeah. And, and how, how much of this was, uh, how much knowledge of the condition of the shop did you have when you purchased the house? I was suspicious. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you didn't have detailed listings as you didn't know, even know how many buildings you had on your property. Well, I mean, I didn't know about the, like, a, real structures, taxable structures. Um, right. You know, I guess a, a, a plastic shed doesn't really count. It's not a, really a taxable structure. Um, right. But I, I was suspicious based on a couple of things I saw at the surface. I didn't realize that. They cut the grounds all off, but eh. oh well. It's a it's a project. <laughs> yep, and then I will know it is done the way I want it, overdone the way I want it because that's just the way I am, especially with electrical. Um, and uh, it'll never be a concern ever again for me until right. I buy another tool that needs like two forty or something, and then <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, so if the shop needs uh, wiring work, what about the house? The house was uh, rewired by what, well, what really appears to be a professional, which is um, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, based on the way they did things, very, very professionally done. Um, so, the house is in great shape, and, and it, that works out well because it gives me a project outside where if it's. Uh, it's not like destroying my bathroom and me not having a bathroom. I have to finish it this weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a project I can take two months to finish or six months to finish. Yeah. The latter one's probably more realistic, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of the beauty of, of the way this all, all played out. The house is in nice condition and just a few minor projects here and there to do. Cool. Cool. Now, now, my recollection is that uh, civil engineers probably don't have to take a lot of uh, electrical courses and electrical analysis courses. Mm-hmm. Some do they? Well, let me ask, do how much, how much electrical do civils have to take? Um, I did not have to take any in school. Okay. Other than uh, like a physics two class, which is really not at all applicable to this sort of stuff. Right. <laughs> Figure the the attraction between two point charges. Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, how electron flow works in cables, and a little bit about AC current and inductance and things like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, but I actually do a, a fair amount of electrical design at work, and have learned after graduation um, signals and highway lighting systems and such right. are are all electrical systems that. Um, so I probably do a little, do a lot more electrical than the average civil engineer does. Right. Which is not uncommon for traffic engineers. Okay. Well, but there's a difference between designing a system, right? Putting the right symbols on the page and knowing how to, if you're doing this on your own, 
you know, stripping wire and, and uh, connecting to the boxes and knowing you know, where to route the wires and that sort of thing. Um, so did you have any, you know, background in this growing up? Um, yeah, my dad taught me how to do a lot of that stuff, which he learned from, uh, I believe, his dad and and uh, uh, Uncle Sam a little bit and, and other places. And Uncle Sam being the government or actually a uncle named Sam? Or Sam's Club. Well, the, the government, the government, uh, the oh, United okay. States Army. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. And, uh, you know, there's a, a lot of other sources, and, and um, I've definitely taken a lot of course, well, some coursework on the electrical code and and all of those things um, mm-hmm. to make sure I know what I'm doing is is safe and legal. Right. Uh, cool. Residential electrical is really not all that complicated. Um, the hardest part is running wire. Mm-hmm. And so any other big plans for the property? Any, any new buildings that you're going to put up? Um, not buildings, but, uh, this ties into some things we've talked about. Uh, I am considering, well, definitely I'll have a small personal use hop yard, but I'm considering a slightly larger than personal use only, uh, hop growing operation. Wow. Because that I have four cool. and a half acres. Good and luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have to see how that all plays out, but I've got a, a chunk of uh, old pasture picked out that I think I'd like to uh, start raising hops on, and we can check in on that in uh, probably about six years. <laughs> I was going to say like three. <laughs> yeah, it does take a while to get uh, what you call it <laughs> enough yield to actually sell them. Yeah. That's true. I'm never going to be competing with uh, the big guys out in, in Yakima, but uh, oh, maybe no, enough. Not. Maybe enough to to sell a couple of boxes to the local uh, the local craft brewery, um, so they can make a wet hop beer or something with fresh local hops. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, not big aspirations, but well, but but this period of time gives you some uh, uh, some interval to finish your automated brewing. Uh, device. Yes, once I have a a structure ready to, for it to go in, um, uh, many of the outbuildings still need some work to make them uh, usable for my purposes. Like, ooh, brewery. So, is this going to be a separate building other than the shop? Yes. So that'll go in uh, one of the other buildings out there. Um, what you call it, the brewery? Um, probably. That would be so cool. <laughs> Please come out to my brewery. <laughs> Um, that's yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I'm gonna do anything else in that building as well, but, uh, brewery is right now kind of the primary purpose for, for one of these, uh, one of these structures. Cool. Uh, So it also needs rewiring, which I knew about, um, and a couple other things, but, uh, yeah, not many people have their own, uh, brewery buildings. And actually it's probably bigger than the commercial brewery I worked in, uh, square footage. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well i think you've got the order right you work on the shop first get the wiring you know practice your wiring there and to make sure you've got everything down and perfect before you start working on the brewery because that's the really the important building well and i need the shop space to work on brewing equipment right you know i need my tools set up uh you know chasing tools out of boxes just it isn't it isn't going to work when i'm ready to get the brewery going (laughs) right (laughs) So, yes, shop, then brewery, and then we can worry about other things like, uh, does the kitchen have everything in it it needs? Well, yeah, that's sort of secondary, though, right? Yeah, yeah, less important than, <laughs> than the other two. <laughs> I'm single if you didn't figure that part out. <laughs> right, and, and are you, are you uh, at least out of boxes now? You moved into the house, what, uh, mid-November? Um... Yeah, about then. Uh, no, not even close. <laughs> I still have boxes of things that I don't even know what's in them anymore. So, um, right, getting closer. So more projects for the winter. Yeah, yeah. You can ask me that question again next year, and we'll see what the answer is. And no one surprised me at that point either, to be honest. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So what about you, Jeff? Uh, have you had any, uh, oh, well, you had a job change. Um, so how is, uh, what's going on with that? Well, indeed, I, I, uh, changed jobs. I had moved from 
teaching engineering courses on a part-time basis as a visiting assistant professor to teaching courses full-time as a continuing lecturer. Uh, and so Ooh. the good news was that, that, uh, at the, this all worked out really nicely in the, that my, uh, uh, my wife was retiring and her benefits were coming to a close, uh, as she retired and, uh, I needed to pick up benefits and we overlapped with about six days to spare. <laughs> we were, we were cutting it close, but, but the, the, uh, the full-time position opened up. And, uh, so I, we, uh, I was getting paid and I was getting benefits, which uh, were the two important things. Um, and so the fall semester was the first semester that I had uh, where I was uh, teaching on a full-time basis. And, you know, there wasn't really a huge difference other than, you know, obviously I was teaching more courses, so there was some workload there. But as a full-time member of uh, the university, then there were more, you know, more meetings to go to, uh, more administrative duties, more paperwork to fill out. You know, suddenly I was responsible for making sure that the, uh, you know, you don't think of these little things, but like making sure that you have uh, exam rooms set up for the next semester. So someone has to submit the paperwork to say, okay, next semester I need uh, this many midterm exams. And if you have a large class, for instance, the class I taught this past semester had 340 students. Uh, it was split amongst four lectures, so no lecturer had 340. There were about 70 to 90 students per lecture, but you have to, you know, you have to worry about where does everybody take a, an exam? Uh, and so somebody has to fill out the paperwork saying, you know, why are you having an evening exam instead of having a, just an exam in your normal class? Uh, and, uh, if you're having it, then how many, how many students are in your class? How many, how many divisions, you know, sections of the class do you have to worry about? How long do you need it? Uh, and so if someone has to fill out that paperwork, you know, a semester, uh, in advance. And so it, there were those types of things where, uh, taking care of getting the teaching assistants and, and making sure they were signed up and, and getting paid and knew what they were supposed to do and the graders to take care of grading the homework and they were signed up and, uh, they knew how to fill out their time cards and could get paid. And so lots of little just administrative things, but those, those all added up and, and, uh, consumed a lot of time. So I think in the last episode, I mentioned that the, uh, the job had been, uh, uh, keeping me uh, extremely busy. And that was, uh, certainly the truth. So I'm hoping as I roll into, uh, uh, the new year that, uh, as I, as I get a little more experienced and, and familiar with these things that they, they might take a little less time. So, uh, I'm going to do my best to try to streamline the, uh, uh, the administrative tasks and, and, uh, uh, keep my time available for the important duties and, and activities. Very cool. Sounds like it'll be uh, pretty rewarding for you. Oh yeah! Once you get the bureaucracy down, of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I really enjoyed the 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 teaching part of it. That's that's one of my favorite parts is is trying to figure out how to uh, how to communicate the ideas, uh, how to uh, to you know find some excitement about the you know these aren't just abstract uh, mathematical equations. There's some usefulness to them. And I really enjoy helping the students with their homework. I you know if they come in and they've got a problem. Uh, I enjoy trying to figure out where they're getting stuck and how to help them. The the biggest issue is there's just, you know, there's a limited amount of time. And so my office hours, I, you know, um, I'm usually available. Well, last, at least last semester I was available for about four hours a week. But if, if you have, uh, for instance, in my lecture, my two lectures, I had, you know, 160 students, something like that. Well, there's only so many of them, even in four hours, there's only so many of them that you can really help uh, during that period of time. And so, you know, the biggest issue was, I, I think, you know, I think my, some of the students got frustrated if they'd come in late in the, the available time and, and ask for help. And, and I'm struggling trying to, trying to take care of everybody else. There was, we just ran out of time. And so I couldn't be quite as helpful as I, I would have liked, but, uh, no, I, I really enjoyed the job. I enjoy, enjoy working with the students. And, and, uh, so, uh, it's, I enjoy it. It's just, uh, it's a lot of hours. I somewhere during the past couple of weeks, I came across somebody's um, blog post about who had talked about moving from industry to academia. Uh, they had become a full had moved out of industry and become a full time professor. And they talked about uh, in industry that they worked, you know, twenty five to thirty five hours a week. You know, there are other they were there at the job more often, but there were meetings and other administrative things. But you know, doing work work 
they, they estimated it being 25 to 35 hours a week. And as a professor, they were guessing they were putting in more like 45 to 60 hours a week, plus the administrative stuff. Uh, and, and the cost of that is, or the benefit of the academic world is you get, have some freedom in, you know, what you want to do. You, you get to decide where to go forward, uh, as opposed to your employer. I don't, as a continuing lecturer, I don't quite have that freedom, uh, in that I am not picking my own research area. I'm, I'm assigned, uh, courses to teach and, and my teaching load is a little heavier than, than what it would be expected of a professor who's doing research. Uh, but, uh, nonetheless, it, 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 you know, no one is is sitting on my shoulder telling me that I'm teaching Fourier series incorrectly, but but uh, they just say you must teach Fourier series. So uh, that's not too bad then. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoy it. Wonderful, wonderful. So, all, do all these classes you have have a lab too? I think you've you've mentioned that they do. Yes, uh, not all classes, but but this particular class that uh, uh, I mentioned did have a lab and and. Uh, it had a uh, a lab every other week uh, for uh, for a variety of reasons. They decided not to put a separate, you know, typically you'd have like three credit hours of lecture and then like a, a one credit lab that yeah. might meet three hours a week. And, and uh, there's some emphasis at the university of reducing the number of hours it takes to graduate. So uh, instead of having a lab, you know, three hours of lecture and an hour of lab, they decided they would – not ha- instead of four hours, they would have three hours. So what they made it was essentially two and a half hours of lecture and a half hour of lab. Yeah. And they did, and they did this by having a lab every other week. So there, there are two courses that are similar that they sort of flow into, you know, one overall course, they're integrated. And so, uh, the first course has its, its labs on the odd weeks and the other course has its labs on the even weeks. And so these two, uh, two courses swap the lab space, uh, and so that made the the uh, the coordination very interesting. And this it, it contributed somewhat to the administration pro- uh, administrative problems, in that you had to make sure everything was set up for one lab on one week and the other lab in the other week. And of course, as soon as the fall break rolled around, then that shifted everything by a couple of days. And then when we got to Thanksgiving break, it shifted everything back a couple of days. So the week would start on Wednesday instead of starting on Monday. Um, Chaos. <laughs> and, then, and if that weren't crazy enough, then uh, what it, it also meant was that our lectures, we had two and a half lectures a week. So how do they do that? Well, one week you have two lectures and the next week you have three. So we would have Tuesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday lectures. So I would, um, on every other Thursday, instead of having two lectures to teach, I would have four lectures to teach during the day. Uh, and that made for that made for kind of a, a busy day and a, a few times uh, came close to losing my voice. That's a lot of talking. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and be honest, how many times did you just tell them to listen to episode like, you know, whatever, 68 of our podcast because it was relevant? Accounting. <laughs> uh, I didn't, uh, I didn't uh, tell them to listen to the podcast at all. Mm. Sorry. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. You know, it's tenure. Tra- you got to no, you, you rewrote the podcast. I got it. Wink, wink. Right, right. Well, it's it's interesting. We've we're uh, we're coming up in April. We'll have been doing this podcast for five years, and it was last fall that for the first time a student at the university came up to me and said something about the podcast. Uh, so I'm sure that one or more of them have run across it over the years, but uh, it was the first time that that a student was brave enough to come and ask me about the podcast. Interesting. And you you signed his autograph. Her autograph? <laughs> no. no, no autographs were requested. Sick burn. It's because he charges. That's true. He does have a big head. Hey, I only asked for 20 bucks. That didn't seem unreasonable to me. No, that's perfectly legit. I think that's going right these days. <laughs> but that's like uh, like 25 meals of ramen. <laughs> less, less cost of ramen's gone up. Do college kids really eat ramen? I did. Uh, man, mac and cheese is roughly the same cost and a heck of a lot better. Well, some ramen with a little bit of like pepper jack cheese sprinkled on it, melted into it. As an aside, uh, one of the places I used to work at was across the street from a 
um, one of the places that makes the cheese powder, I guess, is the word I'm looking for for like mac and cheese. And there is nothing worse smelling on the planet than super concentrated cheese powder. <laughs> oh man, my uh, my grandparents live within walking distance of a cheese plant and man growing going there all the time growing up and even now to some extent although i've moved away and can't get over there as much as i'd like it's still when they're making cheese like you smell it mm-hmm. and it's probably not pleasant uh no it's a very sour e smell at least from what i remember i haven't smelled it in a while but you can't miss it yeah most food production doesn't smell very good it could have been worse. It could have been like, you know, a slaughterhouse or something. My first co-op was down the street from um, a, a real big farm, and they, they had a lot of manure. So if the wind shifted just right and you were out, you know, going to lunch or on a break, you'd get hit in the face <laughs> with uh, with that wonderful scent. My first summer working for the DOT, we did a, a um, pavement project in a town with a um, a, a meat producer that produces a, a canned, uh, well-renowned, well-known canned meat product. Um, oh, you were down in Lesseur? <laughs> no, no, not in Lesseur. Let's just say that that plant didn't smell very good, especially um, they had one day that you could tell they, they did a deep clean, so now you've got um, bacon and caustic smell. Ugh. <laughs> Delicious. Yes. In addition to the smell of hogs driving by all day long. Yeah. Hmm. I don't eat as much bacon as I used to. (laughs) (laughs) And and how often did they clean this out? Every decade or so. It was like on uh, every Thursday they had an extra cleaning cycle or something. Hmm. I'm sure they did daily cleanings, but um, it's just once a week. I think it was on Thursday. There was this extra extra chemical smell right in the entirety of this town i've smelled far better things i'm not sure i've smelled too many worse (laughs) right right so uh adam and and i have uh described our transitions what was your transition for the year carmen uh, well, much like you, Jeff, I also uh, transitioned into a new job. It was my first first uh, job change since graduating school. And well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's been going good so far. So uh, still in semiconductors, still in as uh, an applications engineer, still in power electronics. <laughs> so why why switch, you might add? Uh, I was, I was why, just looking, why switch? Nah, ha ha. Glad you asked. <laughs> I was uh, I was just looking for something new, mostly. Um, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it when you know, you list off the you know semiconductor, power electronics, apps engineer, or whatever. But uh, I'm I'm doing power for different areas. Um, it's it's a little bit more broad, so I'll still be doing power for computing applications. But I get to see many different uh, many different applications. Instead of just my very specific design power for Intel vCore applications. So that's mm-hmm. still a, a part of my job, but it's a much smaller part than it used to be. And I'll be doing, uh, you know, a whole host of different stuff, uh, you know, random parts on the motherboard. DDR is a big one. Um, that has its own special set of power regulations. And you know, there's even a few general purpose parts in there, so I could get thrown a, a random curveball and, you know, a Bluetooth speaker or a iPod dock or a, a printer. Or, I don't know. Something comes my way. Right. So it, it's cool. I get to expand my horizons. And this one is uh, – this job is a little bit more marketing focused. So it, I'm still an apps engineer, but I, I, part of the reason I get to see so many different applications is because I'm not tied to a specific product line. I mm-hmm. I actually report to a, a marketing guy. <gasps> Shocking. Yes. I, yes. I've, I've gone over, but not really. Disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. So, uh, yeah. So, I, I report to a marketing guy, and I'm 
basically doing his his demo boards. So I I still may get thrown on a, a chip validation here and there if uh, some of our groups are are slammed because I I have that skill set. So I may as well make use of it and make myself look good and earn brownie points. But it's not my primary focus anymore. So I'll be doing a lot more customer visits in the new year and trade shows and you know demo boards, which would be pretty cool. It also lets me write um, and produce some video content and app notes and blog posts, which I really liked. So it's uh it's a good it's a good change up in my my day to day. It'll be a little more varied. And then if I ever decide, you know, I wanna you know, possibly go to the dark side and be marketing, I could do that. Or if I decide, hey, I'd rather go back into a product line and get more technical again, I'll have exposure to a couple different product lines worth of chips and I can decide where I want to go from there on which ones I like the best. Mm-hmm. And and so are you noticing in the new in the new job a different corporate climate or a different culture? Uh yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, back at back in Intersil, um, I mean, it wasn't a, a small company, you know, run out of a garage by any means. But th- this new company is much bigger than Intersil, and it, mm-hmm. it, you know, it shows. In some areas, there's a a lot more bureaucracy, which just drives you crazy. But um, in in other areas, it's kind of nice because, you know, in Intersil, I had my hands in. A million different things, and it was it was cool. I got exposed to a lot, um, you know, in terms of you know the design of a chip, the definition of a chip, you know, defining new parts and running feasibility studies. Uh, and I, I liked doing a bunch of different stuff, but it, it seemed like I never had the time to do it all anything extremely well. So I like that my new role is a little bit more focused, and I may not be doing as many things, but I the things I will be doing I can do much more polished and, uh, you know, you know, just give it, give it my all instead of trying to divide my time between a a million different things. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of nice. Uh, one, one surprising similarity, trying to get new equipment is like pulling teeth. Nobody wants to spend money (laughs) on oscilloscopes, (laughs) but I was kind of, kind of forced their hand because I'm an apps guy in a marketing group. So they had, I think, uh, you know, a, a rusty screwdriver and a, a multimeter with no batteries, so they they kind of had to open up a line of uh, or a capital request to get me some equipment because otherwise mm-hmm. they're they're overpaying for me if I can't be in the lab, right? So that was like pulling teeth. But uh, uh, the last piece of equipment I needed came in like two days before I took my Christmas vacation, so I get to go back in to well tomorrow from the time we're recording this and. Make my bench my own, finally. Hey, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I'll be able to do more than just power up a board and poke around real quick. I can actually, <laughs> you know, take scope shots and apply heavy loading and all the wonderful stuff that my job will require. Right. So uh, can you compare for us the process of trying to find a job coming immediately out of school versus uh, the process of finding this position after you'd been in the industry for a few years? Um. Well, after you've been in the industry for a few years, networking becomes much, much more important. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I managed to get a, a couple phone interviews just from applying online, but a lot of the times it was just shot off into the void, and I, I didn't hear back from anything. Um, and I, any success I had was due to you know people I knew, and that's actually how I got this job. Was I, I knew somebody who knew my boss and. They, they put me in contact and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. So working your connections is, is much nicer. Um, okay. I'm sure I could find a job fair, but there, it wasn't like back at RIT when there was two job fairs a year for engineering students and the companies were just lined up in the giant uh, field house where you just walked around and handed out resumes and they were actively looking for new hires with no experience or limited right. experience. And so in this time around, I'm sure they asked what the GPAs were, but was there any emphasis on GPA or was it all about what you knew how to do? Uh, for me, it focused on what you knew how to do. I mean, there is, you know, if the interview got around to it, you know, you're coming up towards the end of the hour and 
they they look at their watch and they say, ah, we only have five more minutes. Uh, you know, tell me about tell me about school. You know, it would come up then, but usually it was, you know, like explain this project on your resume, um, which I did have some school projects back on there. Uh, still, you know, the I see I designed and everything, but for the most part, I put on work projects. So I was talking about things I did at work and uh, why I was looking to change jobs, why I wouldn't, you know, jump ship after two years or something to go work for somebody else. <laughs> right. Um, you know, th- things like that. It really didn't focus on school all that much. Right. A couple of times right. I ran into an RIT grad or something and, and we maybe talked about it for a minute or two, but that was about it. Right. Right. Well, I, I won't say frequently, but I occasionally uh, am asked to speak with students or, or sort of advise them on their career plans. And there, of course, is always a lot of worry about GPAs. And my advice is usually that, that GPA is, is indeed important when you're trying to get that first job um, because the, the hiring managers don't have anything else to go on. But that uh, three years out, GPA is really not very important at all. And five years out, it's, it's pretty much of zero importance. The, the, the employers want to know what it is you can do, not how well you did in school. Yeah, yeah, that was my experience. And um, I mean, maybe some of it is because I was staying pretty much in the power electronics field. But I, I could see maybe it would come up more if I was trying to shift focus to, you know, something like DSP or whatever. And then mm-hmm. I can say, well, you know, I have this experience in the real world. But, you know, you can see back in school, uh, you know, maybe I'd highlight some of my old classes and say, I, I, I did see this. I have a basic knowledge of EM fields or DSP or whatever it is, and I I can do that and maybe shift their focus onto that. But um, right, yeah. So so even changing within a you know you're obviously an electrical engineer and within power electronics. So so let's say you're an electrical engineer within electronics, but even changing from power electronics to DSP, that takes a bit more doing once you started down one path, does it not? Yes, yes, definitely. Um. <sighs> I would assume you'd have to show some some sort of interest, like real interest, not just uh, you know I need a paycheck in order to <laughs> to get that sort of job, um, you know. And if you're lucky, maybe you took a training class or something that touched on it, and you could relate it back to the job or whatever. But uh, I don't know. You, I, I did see one job, so maybe it, this job was a, a. I didn't get it. Um, it was one of those ones that just went off into the void. So I'll probably hear about it in six months, but who knows? Um, and it was, uh, a signal integrity slash power integrity engineer. And you, you looked at board layouts and design solutions and maximize signal and power integrity. So you're meeting all your power specs while not corrupting high speed signals, high speed being gigabit and above. Um, so when I looked at that job, I was half qualified for it because I, I know power. I know how it's supposed to flow, and I figured I could learn the, the other half of it. So that, that would be more like a half step in that direction, and I, I lucked out when I found that one, and it sounded pretty cool, but uh wasn't meant to be. Right. So that, that wouldn't have been a, a complete shift away from power, um, it, you know, into to high-speed signal uh, routing, but uh, – would have been a step in the right direction. And if I wanted to change jobs after that, then, well, then I have experience. So, right. But yeah, no, so far it's, uh, it's been pretty good. I can't complain too much. You know, I got my scope now, so I'm pretty happy. <laughs> and I managed, I managed to get upgrades for it. See, this was the, the key. I, I could have got, and, you know, um, we, we had Alan on here. I, I got a tech scope. Sorry to any LaCroix or, uh, Keysight people out there <laughs> um Can we but don't I, agree that key site was a horrible name whatever I, but they, they do make some nice discuss scopes. that oh agilent makes some wonderful scopes that's all i'm gonna say yeah yeah and i i've been happy i had a lacroix back at intercell and i had other than it being ancient it was it was a workhorse and i liked it and their their new scopes are awesome too but i ended up going with um one of the mdo scopes from tech with the spectrum analyzer on it and the mixed signal capability and the, you know, standard four analog channels. So, and I, I didn't go with the 4,000 series. Um, I went with the 3,000 series and I used the budget difference to get a lot of the bells and whistles. So my, my scope is like maxed out. It's got, um, 
the spectrum analyzer upgrade to three gigahertz. It's got a function generator on it. It's got the DVM capabilities and it's got a whole host of software upgrades um, that, you know, I could, I can make a case for some of them, but it was a package deal. So whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I, I used my budget on bells and whistles so I can do more with the scope and I didn't need so much, uh, you know, raw bandwidth or whatever uh, memory depth. Right. Right. So you used your optimization skills to, uh, to uh, maximize your personal enjoyment of the equipment you were receiving. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I still got a gigahertz bandwidth, um, which is plenty for, especially this job, since I'm not doing so much R&D uh, type work. It's it's plenty for what I'm trying to do to see gate signals and phase nodes cleanly. Um, so that, that'll work out pretty nicely. And it's not my only piece of equipment. I also have a, an electronic load capable of pulling 240 amps, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And let's see, got a couple couple nifty power supplies and a really fancy DVM coming. Very neat. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be a nice bench. My only, my only. Here's here's my biggest complaint, and I, I didn't know this going in. Um, they assigned me a lab bench, and I was like, excellent. And you know, for the first couple months as I was waiting for all my equipment to come in, uh, it worked out just fine. I was scrounging equipment here and there from other people in the lab and they would take it back as they needed it and it worked out and then uh then all my stuff started coming in i tried setting up my bench and it's a two foot deep bench i need more feet it needs to be deeper um (laughs) so my electronic load it's 240 amps it's you know freaking huge and it it's pretty much two feet deep (laughs) so i have like you know i have to angle it at a weird angle so i can have a work area and still use the the load. So my goal for 2017 is to get at least a three foot bench. Mm. But that requires a special requisition, I'm sure. Oh, I can't even imagine the paperwork I'll have to fill out. Plus, we got to figure <laughs> out where to put the old bench, and oosh, might be easier said than done. Right. Well, at, at least you have a goal for the new year, right? You know, impress my boss, do good work. Crank out a ton of app notes. Nah, 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 nah. I need a deeper bench. (laughs) (laughs) I got my priorities straight. That's right. Well, so uh, that's your transition story, Carmen. Uh, Brian, any transitions in 2016? No. (laughs) He's exactly (laughs) the same. (laughs) A little bit less sanity, but, you know, no, pretty much everything's the same. All right. And and do you expect any changes in 2017? Uh not really. It's I mean, I guess it's a good thing, right? You know, I'd rather be busy than not. So I expect to be very busy for the remainder of uh 2017 if things go well. All right. And if things don't go well, uh less busy? More podcast time. <laughs> All right. You can join me when I retire. Yes. That sounds like a plan. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, just work, 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 and, you know, most of my big changes were last year, so that was when I moved and all my craziness happened, so. Right. Did did you have an unknown number of buildings on your property? No. Not yet. (laughs) Um. (laughs) I haven't tried to drill anywhere, so you know. Maybe you'll have to well, leave that question unanswered until I bring out a well drilling equipment apparatus. So, oh, you're drilling. You're drilling for water, not oil. No, oh, why not both? <laughs> okay. Hopefully, they're not in the same vein. <laughs> That'll taste a little funny. Well, who says? Yeah, you're right. That'd be bad. So, yeah, I'm simple. You're right. We'll tell you what, we're uh, coming up around the uh, the hour mark, and uh, so I, I think that uh, we've probably got enough to uh, call this an episode. All right, works for me. And, uh, you know, I know we've had a bit of a, a gap here without having uh, a guest. Our last one was Grady back in October, but we've put our heads together and came up with some good ideas, and we, we have some emails out. And hopefully we'll hear back from a few interesting people we think you'll all like. So we should have some more guests coming in the future. 
And then uh, a lot of you guys wrote in, too. You really liked the uh, technical episodes we did, you know, on gears and bearings. So we... Accounting. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. so, so we have more of those planned, too, as well. Uh, we won't spoil what they are, but we, we plan on doing more episodes like that, too, in the future. And I'll finally upgrade my mic for the next podcast. I was too lazy to plug it in since, uh, you know, I got it for Christmas. Fantastic. Yeah, good things coming up. Good things. All right. Have a good couple of weeks, and uh, we'll talk to everyone again on the next episode of the Engineering Commons. All right. Enjoy that uh, flask I got you to drink during class, Jeff. All right, I will. See you next time, gentlemen. Later. Goodbye. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our musical introduction is by John Trimble and our concluding theme by Paul Stevenson.